Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning, Christians gather throughout all the world to worship a baby in a manger. And not just Christians. Have you noticed how during this time of year, when you're in a coffee shop or the grocery store or the market, you might hear some jingling of bells and songs of reindeer, but every now and then you might hear a hymn, a hymn in public, a hymn that people might be humming too about Christ. Now, why would we do that? Why are we praising a baby born to a poor Jewish family in the Middle East 2,000 years ago? What is the big deal? We might ask, in the words of the hymn we just sang, What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? In our passage this morning, which is the epistle reading from John chapter 1, the Apostle John seeks to answer this very question for us. And he's going to tell us just who this child is and why he has come. Who he is and why he has come. Now we should note that John begins his gospel in a unique way. If you compare the other evangelists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they tend to focus more on the concrete historical facts about Jesus' birth. Matthew begins with the genealogy. Mark begins with a reference to fulfilled prophecy and John the Baptist as Jesus' forerunner. And Luke begins by addressing the person he's writing to, telling him about how he's looked into things carefully and begins his story with Zechariah and Elizabeth, the mother or the father and mother of John the Baptist. But when you come to John, John steps back a few thousand million feet and gives the biggest picture account you could imagine of Jesus's origins. John begins not with Zechariah and Elizabeth, not with John the Baptist, not with genealogies or prophecies, but to creation. He goes all the way back to creation, in fact, before the beginning of creation. That's where John starts. In the beginning was the word. The first few words here remind us of the very first words of The Bible, found in Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created. Here John says, in the beginning was the Word. Before the creation of the world, before God had created anything, in that beginning which itself had no beginning, the Word existed. Now, I ask you, can something exist eternally, before creation, and not be God. John doesn't leave us in suspense. He continues and says, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was God. There is an identity with God. 
and the word was with God. There is a distinction. From this passage and many others, later theologians in church history rightly began to speak of the Trinity, that idea of the Trinity, that the one God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are not each one-third part of God, which join together to make up God. No, each of them is fully God. The word was God. But neither are they three separate gods, resulting in uh, three gods, ultimately, not one God. But rather, mystery of mysteries, the one God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son is described here as the Word. He's like the full, perfect Word of the Father, His utterly complete and exact self-expression. Such as the Father is, such is the Son. He is His definitive, eternal Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John goes on to tell us that this divine Word was the agent of creation. Consider verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The idea that all things were made by God's word is clear from Genesis. Remember Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be fish in the sea, and the fish teemed in the sea. God creates by his word. The psalmist says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. John applies that to this divine word, this word, who was with God and who was God. All things were made through this word of God. The word here is not one of the things that has been made. Rather, it is that by which everything that has been made was made. The word is the infinite eternal maker of all, the uncreated divine agent of the father in creation. In verse four, John says, in him was life. Only God has life in himself. All created things have life in God, not in themselves. We have life in God. God has life in himself. It's only by God's creative power that we are brought into existence, and it's only by his sustaining power, his, Hebrews 1, upholding all things by the word of his power, that we continue in existence. All life, whether physical, mental, spiritual, is found in God, ultimately, and only in creatures, so far as they are in God. And the Apostle John says that in the word was life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. We're again back in the realm of Genesis 1. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And the word is the life of all the living and the light that gives light to all mankind. This light shines in the darkness, John says, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the great victory of Christmas. The light from heaven has shone down among us. The shadows still remain, to be sure, but they are on the retreat. 
Gather up all the darkness in the world, all the shadows that ever were, and you will see that when the life and light of man shines, they flee. The light of Christ drives away the darkness of sin and death. The Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, verse 8. The poet John Milton wrote of how Christ's birth sent Satan and his demons into retreat. In this poem, he likens the demons to these forces that were behind the pagan idols. And he writes of how Christ's birth sent them into retreat. He writes, For from this happy day, the old dragon underground, in straighter limits bound, not half so far casts his usurped sway. And, wroth to see his kingdom fall, swings the scaly horror of his folded tail. He feels from Judah's land the dreaded infant's hand. The rays of Bethlehem blind his dusky eye. Nor all the gods beside longer dare abide, not Typhon huge ending in snaky twine. Our babe, to show his godhead true, can in his swaddling bands control the damned crew. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The word is God. Now we may consider why he came and what reception this word should have among us in verses 10 to 13. But before we get there, you'll notice that there's this interval in verses 6 to 9 of John the Baptist. He was a man sent from God, sent as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. As we've seen in previous weeks in Advent, John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way, to prepare the people for this king. He's not the star of the show, though many mistook him to be. He was but a witness to the light, that true light that's coming into the world. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And what sort of reception did he receive? Verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, Yet the world did not know him. When the maker of all things, sustainer of all things, the life and light of man came into this world, the world did not acknowledge him. Even further, verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. It was not just the world that failed to recognize him, his own people, here referring to the Israelites, the chosen people of God, given the covenants and the promises of this coming Savior. He came to them, and even they did not receive him. Why is it that when the light shined into the darkness, which the darkness cannot overcome, when the true light, which gives light to every man, came into the world, he was rejected? Why would that be? John writes a couple chapters later, John 3, chapter, verses 19 to 20. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, 
And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. We like to think of ourselves as pretty good people, pretty decent, upstanding people. When we watch the movies, you know, there's the protagonist and the antagonist, and we're never the bad guy, are we? We always identify with the hero. Maybe one of the hero's friends who's not quite so heroic, but we're never identifying with the evil bad guy, right? John says our problem is we love the darkness. We do wicked works. We don't want to come to the light. Sometimes we don't like the light. Sometimes the light is pretty inconvenient as it shines on something that we don't want exposed. When the true light came down from heaven into this world, it's as though a giant spotlight shone down from above and everyone was just scrambling away from it so that their sins couldn't be touched by it. Jesus says in John 7 verse 7, the world hates me. Because I testify about it that its works are evil. Jesus didn't come down from heaven to tell us that we are all quite all right. He didn't come down to flatter us by endorsing whatever it is we felt like doing anyway. He loves us too much for that. Sin will destroy us forever. If you cling to the works of darkness... At the last day, you'll get what you've clung to, the outer darkness. Jesus loves us, and therefore he came preaching to us the good news of repentance. He came calling us to turn from our sin and follow him, trusting in his mercy. He came to seek and save the lost, to call sinners to repentance. He came to offer up his life as a ransom for our sins, that we might be forgiven and made new. That's why he came. And that's why he was not received by his people and he was not known by the world. He would not be received by any of us if this is who we are by nature. Thankfully, that's not where John ends. He continues in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, He gave the right to become children of God. So he came into the world. The world did not recognize him. He came to his own people. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, where did these people come from? Standing out from among the condemned mass of mankind, loving the darkness, hating the light, but some don't. I guess they're just better people. I guess they just kind of had a better heart, made better choices in life. Verse 13. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Receiving Christ, trusting in Christ is a miracle. It is the result of being born anew, born all over again, as it were, by God himself. It's not something that comes down to blood lineage. It's not something that comes down to your own willpower. 
not of the will of man or of the flesh. Left to ourselves, our will is the problem. We do not want to turn from our sin and come to the light. God himself must act, and he does. He sent his son that we might receive second birth, that we might have a renewed nature, that we might receive and believe Jesus. Faith and repentance are gifts of his grace, which we exercise as he works them in us. And as we exercise that faith, as we trust in him, as we cast ourselves on him as our savior, he gives us the right to become children of God. We were born of God, verse 13 says, that's the grace of regeneration, being born again. But now having trusted, we are adopted. We are given the right to become sons in his family. All the privileges that belong to being the children of God, including being heirs of eternal life, are given to us. So see what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. By the fall, we are by nature children of wrath, offspring of the serpent. By grace, we are born of God and adopted as his children. How does this grace come to us? Verse 14 tells us the answer in speaking to us of the glory of the word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only begotten son from the father, full of grace and truth. This grace of the new birth, This grace of faith and repentance, this grace of adoption as God's children comes to us because the word became flesh. This is one of the most astonishing realities that ever was. The everlasting and only begotten son from the father before all worlds by whom all things were made became man, was born of a virgin The word who was in the beginning with God and was God became flesh. This is where we get the word incarnation. Incarnation means quite literally enfleshment, putting on flesh. The incarnation of the son of God is a central mystery of the faith alongside of the Trinity, the two great mysteries of the faith. And it is essential to our salvation. The incarnation means that the son of God, without ceasing to be what he was, became what he was not. Without ceasing to be God, he became man. See, it's not that he stopped being God and started being man. Nor is it that he continued being God and wasn't really man, just appeared to be man. No, the only begotten son of the father took to himself a human nature. He personally united to himself a human nature so that the everlasting son of the father, the word of God who was with God and who was God is both God and man, both creator and creature, both maker and made, both eternal and temporal, both infinite and finite. As God, he is almighty. As man, he grows tired and weary and needs food. 
As God, he has all riches. As man, he grew up in a poor family and the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. As God, he never suffers. As man, he is a man of sorrows and was in anguish and distress to the point of death, sweating tears of blood and bearing the blows and scourges and nails of the Roman cross. As God, he cannot die. And as man, he breathes his last, gives up the ghost, blood and water pour out from his side, and he is buried in another man's tomb. Why did he do this? Why go through all that trouble? Why did the word become flesh and dwell among us? To show us his glory, full of grace and truth. To give us the right to become children of God. We who had forfeited that right forever by our own sin. To by his light drive away the darkness forever. To bear our sins and save us. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping we can answer one hymn with another. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us second birth. Are you in darkness? Receive his light. Are you languishing in death's dark veil? Receive his life. Are you lonely? Receive from him adoption as the children of God. The word was made flesh for you. Let us pray. Thanks be to you, O God, for your inexpressible gift. Give us grace to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen.